The following message is brought to you by Morgan Hill Bible Church. For all things MHBC, connect with us on social media and check us out online at mhbible.org. Yeah, up until this moment, I've really enjoyed getting to know Michael. Actually, he's part of a cohort of pastors that I lead um, from around the country, um, young men who are leading God's church. I'm excited about the next generation of people who are, who are leading here, and I, we pray for this church a lot, and we are so glad. Sad to see Dave leave, David leave, but great to see Michael here, so thanks for nothing. <laughs> it's true, it's been a tough playoff year, but... But there's hope for the Uniner fans. There you go. May God bless you and keep you. Be warm and be filled. It's great to be here with you. Um, Information has changed and the way that we process information has changed. So let me take you back a little bit to to show you this. Uh, The first telegraph message was sent in 1844. And it went from Washington, D.C. to Baltimore, Maryland. And it was, the first message was, what hath God wrought, which was a, a reference in numbers when God was talking about the people of, of God being built into a great nation. So they thought, this will be, really, be really fun. We'll just put that across there as a King James version of what's going on. And as, the, as it began to kind of develop and be used more and more across our country, they decided that they would run a telegraph line all the way across the Atlantic which was a gigantic monumental task at the time. If you can imagine, in 1866, they completed this task, and they then had the ability to communicate with Europe. America and Europe could communicate with one another, not quite instantly, but very close. In fact, their slogan when they first opened up the cable was, two weeks in two minutes. And so they would begin to, um, we would begin to experience receiving information um, immediately, but more than that, it was, not, it was no longer a local component. It was something that would come from everywhere else. And so the telegraph eventually gives into the telephone and radio and television and the internet. And the nature of information has changed. We're, this is the air we breathe. It's so prevalent for us that we don't even recognize it. Information that used to travel at the speed of travel, which was really a, a train mostly, 25, 30 miles an hour, um, began to move at the speed of technology. Neil Postman, um, a cultural critic in his book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, he said this, telegraphy gave a form of legitimacy to the idea of context-free information. That's a really important key. That is, to the idea that the value of information need not be tied to any function it serves. The telegraph made information into a commodity, a thing that could be bought and sold irrespective of its uses or meaning. Today we live in this information age where it has changed. You get information and it no longer asks anything of you. Postman goes on to say this, the tie between information and action has been severed. Let me show it to you. By the way, did I mention that my grandkids are here today? Just the two most wonderful kids you'll ever meet. 
and my lovely granddaughter-in-law uh, as well as my wife. Okay, did I embarrass you sufficiently? Would you like to stand? <laughs> if you go to just a, an Apple News thing on your phone, and this is what you'll get, you'll find out that a NATO leader is unhappy with Trump. Line up, everybody is. You'll find out that there's a, a leader in the Middle East that pushes back about some concerns that are going on with Israel. You'll find that the Senate is working through um, some kind of bill that they're hoping to pass next week. Uh, you'll find that the treatment of teens in the United States is poor. These two agree. <laughs> you'll find some bold predictions about key matchups in the game. And you'll find some things about Taylor Swift and why everybody's so cranked up crazy about her. You don't find anything in here you're supposed to do. You just find information that they want you to know. Guided by algorithms that none of us understand. This kind of understanding of information is fine except for the fact that there's some information that demands you do something. And as we, miss, we categorize information, there's a chance that you could throw information in that you might even hear today at church in the same category as that information about somebody being angry with Trump. And that won't do. That won't do. In James chapter one, it says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Jesus said the same thing as James, his brother. In Matthew chapter seven, when Jesus finds it that it's time to kind of wrap up what is many consider the greatest sermon ever spoken into existence. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters five, six, and seven. Towards the end of chapter seven, he says this. Therefore, in light of everything I've said, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. That phrase, puts, his, puts them into practice, is a singular word in Greek, poeo, which means almost every time it's translated over 500 times in the New Testament, it means do. Anyone who hears this and does it that, or that's the person who is blessed. Now, let me pause for a minute. Some of you may be hearing this and saying, wow, this guest bald dude came in and he says, I gotta do things to be saved. No, what I'm saying to you is that you're gonna do things because you are saved. The grace of God is extended to us in Jesus Christ and all who will believe by faith in the work of Christ on Calvary's cross on our behalf Receive salvation for free by grace. There's not any work you can do it. There's not anything you can earn to do to earn it. 
But because of that work on your behalf, once you believe and receive it, Jesus says you will do things if you're wise. Now, if you want to be foolish, you, don't, you can do that. Let me tell you the difference between a wise person and a foolish person. A wise person is this. They hear the truth and adjust their behavior to the truth. That's a wise person. You hear something. Uh, CJ hears something that says, you know what? If you don't pick up that controller for that gaming unit, I'm going to probably step on it and it's going to break. He hears that and says, he's right. I don't want my pop C to step on it. So I'm going to move it. He's a wise person. A foolish person is someone who hears the truth and adjusts the truth to their behavior. You see the difference, right? That's wise and foolish. CJ, I tell him, hey, dude, you better move that thing. I'm able to step on it and break it. He says, ah, you'll never step on it. It's right there. How can you miss it? Next morning in the dark, I stomp it. He was a fool. You know people like this in your life. Jesus says, in order to be wise, you will put what I say into practice. You will hear and not just know and being formed, but you will do it. The truth is, we know so much and we do so little. And Jesus in this sermon says, I know this is going to be hard. That's why he starts it by telling you, man, just ask for some help. Knock and I'll, I'll help. Seek. You'll, you'll find me. I would love to help you in this. It's very, very hard to do what I'm asking you to do. But your righteousness, he's going to go on to say, I'm asking my children to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees who were really righteous dudes in behavior, but not in heart. So Jesus says, I reject their interpretation of the law. I reject their practices of the law. But I'm asking you to do some things. Now, no matter what version you read, that's the way it comes out. If you read the ESV, it says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them. If you read the New Living Translation, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it, Matthew 7 in the New Revised Standard says, everyone who hears my words of mine and acts on them. He's clearly trying to make sure that we hear some information and do something with it. What is the information? Let me give you a, just an overview of the Sermon on the Mount. He's asking you to be the salt of the earth. Add spice to the things around you. Be a preservative against the evil and the decay that we see in our culture. He's asking you to be the light of the world. That your example would imitate and mimic the life of Jesus in such a way that people see it and they see the shine of that. He says, don't kill. But don't even don't kill. Don't even get angry with people. Even when they drive horrible. Even when they're Kansas City Chief fans. Don't get angry with them. Don't have adultery with people that aren't, that's not your wife. Don't, don't do that and don't even think about it. Don't lie. Don't take revenge. Love your enemies and love God so much and talk to him all the time. 
Share what you have. Don't worry so much about stuff. Don't judge other people. Now, these, these things are not the source of goodness. They are the course to being good. Okay, again, you're not doing these things to be saved. You're doing them because you are. Do something. Follow up. Take action. This verse goes on to say, let me start again back at 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. We've talked about that. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against the house. And yet it did not fall. Kind of like last Sunday. Because it had the foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man. The word there for foolish is the word, it's a Greek word where we get our word moron from. You don't want to be a moron. Stupid is hard to overcome. You don't want to hear it and not respond. Who he, the moron, the foolish person, builds on the sand. And the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. A great crash. Again, not adding works to our salvation, but adding the effect of our salvation on our lives. You might be familiar with this picture. It's the Leaning Tower of Pisa. The town of Pisa. It's in the town of Pisa. And do you know what Pisa means? I thought you knew. I was going to be really impressed. It means swamp. Marsh. <laughs> now you know. No wonder it leans. All of the air, uh, the, the, the land that's around this city is built right next to the ocean and the subsoil is soaked in seawater. It made it a great place for a, a port, for wars. And so it served that purpose. And so they thought, well, let's just build a city here. Well, as they began to build anything over two stories, the thing quickly started to lean. And there was really no way to know this until they started building up. And in the 12th century, um, five years into construction on this leaning tower, they realized, oh my gosh, it's tilting. They started to try to compensate for it and make the, the high side shorter. I know. But it didn't do any good. It didn't do any good at all. The tower is off center now, about 15 feet. Not just a little bit. There are two other towers in the town of Pisa. Um, you may not know them, but they are the it's a, a churches, two churches, the Church of St. Uh, Nicola and the Church of St. Um, Michael. And both those towers lean too. It's just a bad place to build towers. The difference between what's on the surface and the substance beneath makes all the difference in the world when you're building towers and when you're building a life. The substance beneath a life worth living isn't just good ideas or good intentions. It's not simply hoping things eventually work out. 
but it's living it through action. Eugene Peterson said this about hoping things will come out. Hoping does not mean doing nothing. It's not fatalistic, fatalistic resignation. It means going about our assigned tasks, confident that God will provide the meaning and the conclusions. I mean, as good as the Niners are, that's really all you can do today. You hope they win. And so you go about your assigned tasks. You turn on your big screen TV. You make sure there are plenty of beverages. Some five-layer dip, maybe, and some chips. And then you hope. But you've done your part. You've gone about preparation for it. Life is kind of like that. You build strong, durable foundations for a meaningful life and then go about your tasks, learning and living as Jesus teaches you, letting your light shine before others, being salt of the earth, fighting against anger and lust and evil as it manifests itself around you, keeping your promises and loving people that disagree with you, quietly and sometimes anonymously giving to those who are in need or supporting some guy in Japan who has this crazy idea of teaching black gospel music to the Japanese. <laughs> Only God would do something like that. Stop worrying about tomorrow Trust God today, for as we sang, we know how it ends. We're going to be with him again. In short, you want to become golden rule people. The golden rule is actually in this sermon, right before the passage we just read, where Jesus said, so in everything, do, there's our word, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets, which is a biblical way of saying all that's been written. When I first came to Westgate, I volunteered as a chaplain for the San Jose Police Department. And as I did that, I realized that the kinds of people who call for a chaplain are the kinds of people who have been listening maybe for a long time, but haven't built their foundations on solid rock. Let me explain it to you. If you had something very negative happen in your life, you would call your pastor. You have a church, you have a pastor, you would call your pastor or your small group leaders, uh, and you would say, it's just fallen apart, please come and help, right? People that call for a chaplain don't have that. They know, intellectually, they know, uh-oh, this is not all there is. You know, I'm really desperate here. This is, it is hitting the fan. We gotta call a pastor. We gotta get somebody to pray. Call somebody. So they asked the, the police to call me and come in. And every single time I came into these situations, they were, of course, really tragic and very sad. But the sadness was amplified because the crash that came down was a great crash. They had nothing, no community, no hope, no foundation. I tell you these things not because I just want to yell at you a little bit and then go home. I tell you because 
There is going to be a storm in your life. At some point, it's going to get harder than you can physically do on your own. And if you have not built on a foundation, the storm is going to cause a great crash. That word great crash that's there, it's actually a compound word that means the first part of it is mega, like giant, beyond all you can imagine, huge, loud, large, severe. The storm is coming is a mega storm. Hurricane Michael in October of 2018 was that. Here's a picture of it from a satellite above it. It was a gigantic storm. The weather folks were freaking out about it. In fact, when it hit inland in Florida there, when it hit there, it was the first category five hurricane to hit the continental United States. Winds of over 160 miles an hour came across and hit into this area and crushed everything. Almost. There was a place there that caught the imagination of people called the Sand Palace. The Sand Palace had been built there in Florida, and when they built it, they purposely dug the footings for the foundation down 40 feet, twice as deep as any other building in the area. They spent a lot more money on the kinds of housing and the kinds of siding that they put on this place. And the news agencies, when they saw that everything had kind of gotten wiped out around this building except for the sand palace, they went to the owners of the sand palace and said, how did this happen? How in the world did this happen? And they replied, we built it for the storm. We built it for the storm. Jesus is saying in this Sermon on the Mount that pain is going to come into your life and I want to do such a work in you that even when it's hard, you can have joy. I want to build your life for the storm. I want to build your life in such a way that others marvel at your ability to persevere even when it's hard. That is what he is asking of you. If you thought Jesus is a sweet deal because he's just going to make everything right for the rest of the time, that is not what the scriptures teach. Someone has misled you or you have misled yourself. Just pay attention to some of the Christians around you and you will see that their lives are not all sprinkles and sunshine. The storm will come. And God loves you so much that he wants you to be ready for it when it will happen, when it happens. He wants to build character in your life that gets you ready. Because when you stand in the storm, not only will you not crumble, your life will stay together, but others will marvel and they won't, they won't say, wow, you guys are great guys. They'll say, wow. God is a great God. It's not if, but when. Be ready. Be ready. 
Not so you can gain salvation, but because you have salvation. Let's pray. How gracious you are to us, Father, that you would provide salvation to us freely given. The love that you have for us is so clearly expressed in the work of Christ on our behalf. The stone rolled away, the tomb empty, resurrected life, defeating death, offered to us simply by faith. And God, in that, we become your children. We, we were embraced and, and brought in. What a gift. What a gift that is. But God, then for you to also leave us the kind of instruction that will allow us to prepare. So that we're ready when hard times come. Thank you. It is my prayer that you will build faith in us that is so strong. It'll stand against the storms of life. Help us to not only be hearers of your word, but doers of it also. For our sake and your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Continue the conversation with us on social media. Never miss a message and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.